Jalea Fairfield and Carrie Campbell are going to bless us with a special music to help us to, to think more and meditate more and, 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 and exalt more in, in the glory of this, of, of God, send, God the Father sending God the Son in this Advent season and, and what that is interpreted for us through this Advent series that we've been doing in this song called He is Worthy. mercy our God has shown to those who sit in death's shadow. The sun on high pierced the night, born was the cornerstone. Unto us a son is given, unto us a child is born. He who is mighty has done a great thing, taken on flesh, conquered death's sting, shattered the darkness and lifted our shame. Holy is his freedom our Savior won. The yoke of sin has been broken. Once a slave, now by grace, no more condemnation. Unto us a son is given. Unto us a child is born. He who is mighty has done a great thing, taken on flesh, conquered death's sting, shattered the darkness and lifted our shame. Holy is his name. Holy
Carrie for, for blessing with us and that, us with that. And let's pray as we would continue to worship God as we study his word. Father, we thank you. I, I thank you for what we have sung. I thank you for what we have reflected on, for the song that Jalea and Carrie shared with us. And we pray that we would continue in that same attitude and that same desire that we would see your name glorified as we would study your word. We thank you for how you've revealed yourself to us, and we pray for Pastor Bob now. We pray that you would help him to declare to us the, the, what you have revealed and to declare it in a way that would exhort us, Lord, to, to respond in, in the worship and the obedience that, 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 that you would call, and the faith that you would call us to in response to the truths of your word. So we pray that you would anoint the preaching of your word now, and you anoint our brother as he, he brings us the preaching of the word. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I'd just like to say amen to the song that Jalea and Carrie just sang. We couldn't say it any better. You know, really that's what the Christmas message is all about, not just the Christmas season, but the Christmas message itself, the gospel, and how wonderful it is to hear it sung with such uh, Pardon? Beauty. That would be a good word to describe. Thank you so much. And thank you for the worship team, too. What a great time of worship and uh, sing, singing as we praise the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Is hopefully is high and lifted up in our hearts and high and lifted up at this Christmas season. This morning, as we continue our Christmas series, I'd like you to turn to the Gospel of Luke. And today we'll be considering Luke chapter 1, verses 57 through the end of the chapter, verse 80. And what we'll be doing is considering the birth of John the Baptist. This is kind of building up to a crescendo to the birth of Christ, but John had to come first. And we'll see why in a moment. Now, let me just begin by asking, what's in a name? Because I've entitled our sermon this morning, His Name is John. From verse 63, as Zacharias is looked to by all those gathered for John's circumcision and naming to validate what his mother Elizabeth has already stated, his name is John. Everybody wanted to name him Zacharias, but she goes, no, his name is John, and was adamant about that. And uh, everybody wanted to name him Zacharias, as expected. After all, this was their only son. It was a son of their old age the one who would carry on the name, and after all, it was customary, oftentimes in situations like this, to uh, name the child after the father, especially when it was a child of the old age and the only son of their old age. It would have been quite justifiable to go against what the angel said and just say, no, we're going to call him Zacharias because that's what we want to do. Too often we do what we want to do. And Zacharias tried that once, and it made him a deaf mute, so he wasn't about to do that again, and neither was Elizabeth. So what's in a name? Well, in the case of John, it was the name given to him by an angel of God as he encountered his soon-to-be father in the temple. And in the Hebrew, the name means to whom Jehovah is gracious. It's an interesting name, to whom Jehovah is gracious. And if we were to shorten that, you might say it just means the grace of God. 
And that's what this multiple birth situation telling the story of John and Jesus is all about. It's all about the grace of God, isn't it? The grace of God made manifest on earth through John preparing the people and the people receiving the redemption that was in Christ their Savior, the Messiah. So it's all about the grace of God. After 400 years of silence, God was graciously about to speak. And he miraculously brings about the birth of the one who would be the herald of the coming Messiah. In John's own words, when asked who he was in John 1.23, he said, I am a voice of one crying in the wilderness, make straight the way of the Lord, as Isaiah the prophet said. In other words, I'm the fulfillment of prophecy from hundreds of years prior. God knew me. He was the one to whom and through whom Jehovah would now begin to unfold the gracious message of the gospel, the grace of God. His message would be repent and receive forgiveness of sins. What an awesome thing. That man could be forgiven. Because man, we were talking earlier, I was talking with Ken, and we were talking about what a beast man is. Both man and woman, given the proper opportunity. It's amazing how evil we are if given the power and the fame and the opportunity to express that evil. And, and here was the one through whom Jehovah would now begin to unfold the gracious message of the gospel that man can be forgiven of his sins. So there's a lot in the name. You know, we sing that song, He Knows My Name. Why is that so important? Why is it so important to us that God knows our name? Why can't it just be a general message and, you know, just step in and be unknown and whatever, but He knows my name. Why is that so important? Why is it so important that God has perfect knowledge of us, that he knows us through and through, that he knows our heart, even when we do express that evil, that sin dwells in us. It's hard to get rid of. It's hard to deal with the flesh. Our sin's been forgiven, but we still have the flesh to contend with daily. And, and why is it so important that God knows our hearts in those situations and why is it so important that we can entrust our lives to him because he knows the plans he has for us for good and not for evil? It's my name. That's in the Lamb's Book of Life. And it's interesting that name has been known from eternity past. Sorry. You know, I love Ephesians chapter 1, verses 4 and 5, where he says that we have been chosen in Christ from before the foundation of the world. You know, if you understand that, that knew, you know that Christ knew your name from before eternity, whatever eternity is. <laughs> he knew us from before the foundation of the world, before he created says he predestined us to adoption as sons and daughters. 
your name was known by God and he chose you out of multitudes to know him and be known by him. What an awesome thing that is. He knows my name. He knew John. He knew Jeremiah. He was a prophet from before he was even conceived. He knew all of us before we were conceived. And so what made John great was the special purpose to what he had been called to. Now, as we look at our passage today, I want us to see basically two things, the birth and naming of John in verses 57 through 66, and then the benedictus or benediction or prophecy of Zechariah as he chants or prophesies over his son at his circumcision and his naming, which was customary in those days when for a boy on the eighth day they would be circumcised. Uh, that's why, you know, Paul says a uh, Hebrew of Hebrews circumcised the eighth day of the tribe of Benjamin and so on and so forth in Philippians 3. And they would be named at the same time. And that was customary, and this is, this is a recounting of that. Verse 56, Mary stayed with her about three months and then returned to her home. They rejoiced together over what God had brought to them, what God had told them. And, you know, what a wonderful thing. God sends Mary to, to uh, Elizabeth because her husband was deaf and mute. <laughs> and she had somebody to talk to, and, you know, most women like to talk. And uh, they had a great time together. Then Mary leaves, and it says, Now the time had come for Elizabeth to give birth, and she gave birth to a son, just as the angel had said. Her neighbors and her relatives heard that the Lord had displayed his great mercy toward her, and they were rejoicing with her. You can imagine, here's this older lady, past the time of childbearing, sort of like uh, Sarah, and she has a son. And she probably had communicated to them some of the things that the angel had done with Zacharias in the temple, and, and they're anticipating great things out of this. And, and it happened that on the eighth day they came to circumcise the child, and they were going to call his, him Zacharias after his father. But his mother answered and said, No, indeed. And that should have an exclamation point. But he shall be called John. And they said to her, There is no one among among your relatives who is called by that name. And they made signs to his father as to what he wanted him to be called. And he asked for a tablet and wrote as follows, his name is John. And they were all astonished. And at once his mouth was opened. You can imagine this was kind of a freaky thing, right? This guy can't talk. He can't hear. He can only communicate what you could figure out that he could get from what you put on a tablet or, or you know, playing charades with him. But he uh, all of a sudden bursts into praise of God. Fear came upon all those living around them, verse 65, and all these matters were being talked about in all the hill country of Judea. All who heard them kept in the, them in mind, saying, What then will this child turn out to be? For the hand of the Lord was certainly with him. F.B. Mayer made the comment, he said, We start with the birth of the forerunner, the natural, 
The fact that Elizabeth could conceive has become active through the supernatural, the fact that she conceived because God said so. But it was all for the fulfillment of the purpose of God. In this case, his name is John. God's purpose was to bring John into existence to do what he had ordained for him to do naturally, but really supernaturally, Elizabeth has become pregnant in her old age. Her reproach among men has been removed, Luke one twenty five says, and she gave birth to a son and his name would be called John. Quite naturally and yet miraculously, everyone's rejoicing with her. Remember, this is a small community event. This isn't like somebody being born in L.A., right, with no uh, accolades, but he's being born in this very small community. Everybody sees this, and, the, you know, it's like in Oakers when you do something wrong, the word's out within 15 minutes, right, which is a good thing, especially if you have teenagers. But uh, it just spread like wildfire in that small mutant, mountain, mutant, mountain community. And so friends and family all came together on the eighth day for the baby John's circumcision and the naming of him in verse 59. And out of respect for Zacharias and the priestly line and probably for the condition of Zacharias being at that moment probably both deaf and mute, as I said, they intend to name him Zacharias in honor of his father. For after all, it seemed like the right as well as the charitable thing to do. Here's this poor guy. He may never speak again. He may never hear again. And here he has a son. And who's going to carry on the name? But no, verse 60, with an exclamation point, no indeed, but his name shall be called John, his mom says. Now, as usual, when you want to do what's right before God and according to his word, she got blowback. You know, what do you mean? There's no precedence for this. Why are you stepping out on faith? You have no relatives by that name. There's no, uh, you know, stick to the status quo. Stay comfortable. Don't step out on faith by believing and doing what God says. And you know what I mean. You know what I'm talking about. And you know what Elizabeth must have been feeling right at that moment because Oftentimes, friends and family can be the biggest faith killers there are in your life. They can put the kibosh on most anything because usually when you're stepping out in faith, it, there's a reason they call it stepping out in faith. Everything's not figured out. Everything's not, you know, in a little, little square and, and uh, you know, everything isn't uh, settled and you don't know what God is intending sometimes to do and, and what he's going to pull off through your life, but you know it's God working in your life. So stick to tradition. Stick to the status quo. You can almost see Tevia dancing in the streets singing tradition. Remember <laughs> Fiddler on the Roof? And... Uh, you can almost see him. I, I can't sing the whole song. You'd probably want to leave if I did, but you can almost hear Tevia, you know, in the background, just tradition, stay with tradition. No, his name is John. That's what it's going to be because that's what the angel said. 
So they turn to Zacharias and they begin to play charades with him. In fact, verse 62, in fact, this may be where the game was invented. And this is why I believe Zacharias was both deaf and mute. So they, they get him a tablet and this is what he says. His name is John. Because he couldn't hear what his wife said. All he knew, the last thing he heard and the last thing he spoke was to the angel in the temple when he was serving there. It must have been horrible to be that way for nine months. And I would imagine people were very pitiful, pitying, not pitiful, but pitying him in the condition he was in. It's one reason they wanted to name John Zacharias. Notice he just says his name is John, not uh, we've been mulling this over and I think I'll go against tradition and call him John. Or we've decided after much prayer that we're going to call him John. But he simply writes his name is John, end of discussion. This is heaven's child and God has chosen his name. And his name is John. His name is the grace of God. That's what it's going to be all about, bringing the grace of God to sinful mankind, bringing the light of the gospel to the darkness of this world. And chapter 1 says, uh, he will turn many of the sons of Israel back to the Lord. And then verse 17 says, it is he who will go as a forerunner before him in the spirit and power of Elijah. And that's, that's important. I'll explain that in a minute. To turn the hearts of the Fathers, back to the children and the disobedient, to the attitude of righteousness, so as to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. Remember Elijah, 1 Kings 18? Israel had gone after Baal and Ashtaroth, evil, wicked, evil demon gods, and was led that way by Ahab and Jezebel and and. Elijah encounters Ahab and tells him to get all the prophets of Baal and Ashtaroth there, 850 prophets, 400 of Baal, 450 of Ashtaroth, who was kind of like the goddess of sexual perversion. And uh, he says, let the God who answers by fire be God. He is God. So anyway, the prophets of Baal build their altar and they put the sacrifice on it and they're dancing around, cutting themselves and bleeding all over the place. And, and Elijah's taunting them and says, well, maybe he's out to lunch. You know, maybe he's got an appointment somewhere else. Anyway, nothing happens. And then Elijah gets the altar, puts the altar up of stones, puts the sacrifice on it, douses it with tons of water. You know, they probably got the fire truck out there and they're just dousing this thing, and God sends fire from heaven and consumes everything. And the people were amazed. It turned their hearts back to God, and they took the 400 prophets of Baal, and I believe the 450 prophets of Ashtaroth, and they killed them because they were false religionists. And they turned, at that moment, turned the hearts of the people back to the Lord God who is God. John the Baptist would be given the same type of ministry with Israel. He wasn't going to slaughter the prophets of Baal, but he would turn the hearts of a 
greedy, wicked, sinful people back to the Lord their God. That would be his job. That would be his ministry. And that's how God would use him in a very powerful, powerful way to prepare the hearts to receive the Messiah who would come almost immediately. So his name is John. He has everything to do with the grace of God. Then we read in verse 64, it says, And at once his mouth was opened and his tongue loosed, and he began to speak in praise of God. How different from his response the first time he encountered the supernatural. Instead of fear and doubt, his tongue let loose in praise and worship to God and the one who does such great things. And that would be the story of John's life. John would be nothing, but what God accomplished through him would be great and mighty and powerful, and it would point to the one who is the Almighty. Well, this event caused quite a buzz in the hill country of Judea, as you can imagine, and it, and it placed within the people a sense of wonderment and anticipation as to what this meant and what John would grow up to be. Remember, the ministry here is like 30 years off. And you got a lot of time to speculate about this child, and he's got a, a miraculous beginning. For it was obvious, as the end of verse 66 says, for the hand of the Lord was certainly with him, and that along with verse 80 is the Holy Spirit's synopsis of John's life for the next 30 years until his unveiling to Israel as the forerunner to Messiah. Now, just for a moment, I want you to flip over to Luke 3. And look at that unveiling for a moment. This is post-Christmas season. But I just want you to see the kind of preacher John was. We read about it in, in Matthew chapter 3, verses 1 through 12 for our devotion, devotional reading this morning. But he says, Now in the 15th year of the reign of Tiberius Caesar, the monarch of Rome, when Pontius Pilate was governor of Judea, and you remember Pontius Pilate at the trial of Christ, and Herod the Tetrarch of Galilee and his brother Philip was Tetrarch of the regions of Ithuria and Trachonitis, and Lysanias, Lysanias was Tetrarch of Abilene. In the high priesthood of Annas and Caiaphas, the word John wants, Luke wants you to know exactly when this happened. Okay? He goes through... Luke is a tremendous historian, a wonderful historian, and, and in case you have any doubts, it was during the reign of all these guys he just mentioned that I butchered reading. And he says, uh, the son of Zacharias came out, uh, came, the word of the Lord came to John, the son of Zacharias in the wilderness, and he came into all the district around the Jordan, preaching the baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins, as is written in the book of the Words of Isaiah the prophet, the voice of one crying in the wilderness, make ready the way of the Lord, make his path straight. Every ravine will be filled, every mountain and hill will be brought low. The crooked will become straight and the rough roads smooth, and all flesh will see the salvation of God. That was the whole point. Get them ready to hear about the forgiveness of sin and the salvation that comes from repentance of sin. So he began saying to the crowds who were going to the, be baptized by him, you brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? You know, we know we, we read 
in Matthew 3 that he said that to the Pharisees. He also said that to everyone. You brood of vipers, lest you think man is basically good. We need to get that out of our thinking. Man is not basically good. I don't know why we expect him to be good. In his flesh, in his naturalness, he has not got the capacity to be good. He can be a nice person, but ultimately he's evil. We need to recognize that fact. And Isaiah here recognized that. John recognizes it. And it's the truth. Now, that's what John would become, the prophet of God. And I emphasize the prophet of God, greatest prophet to ever live. So we see John's birth. We see his naming. We see, well, we hear of his circumcision. And this brings about, secondly, the benedictus or prophecy of blessing of Zacharias over his son. Let's read that together. Verse 67. And his father Zacharias was filled with the Holy Spirit. And in the Greek, it doesn't have the definite article here. It just says he was filled with Holy Spirit just as John was filled with Holy Spirit from his mother's womb. And he prophesied, saying, Blessed be the God of Israel, for he has visited us and accomplished redemption for his people. He has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of David, his servant, as he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets from of old, salvation from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us, to show mercy toward our fathers and to remember his holy covenant, the oath which he swore to Abraham our father to grant us that we being rescued from the hand of our enemies might serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all our days. And you, child, would be called the prophet of the Most High, for you will go on before the Lord to prepare his ways, to give to him, to give to his people the knowledge of salvation by the forgiveness of their sins because of the tender mercy of our God, with which the sunrise, listen to this beautiful description of Christ, with which the sunrise from on high will visit us to shine upon those who sit in darkness in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the way of peace. And the child continued to grow and to become strong in spirit, and he lived in the desert until the days of his public appearance. That's kind of a synopsis of John's first 30 years or so. Now, this prophecy or song or benediction is divided into three sections. At least, that's what I saw. First, it celebrates the mighty acts of God in Israel's past in verses 68 through 75 that were just about to be fulfilled in the present. It's almost like it's hard to differentiate between the past and the present and the future in this uh, benediction, but... We're going to try. Then it describes the life and mission of Zechariah's son, John, in verses 76 and 77. And then finally, it prophesies the action of God in the near future in verses 78 and 79. Now, Zechariah begins by blessing God. Blessed be the God of Israel. He had learned that's probably what he should have said to the angel to begin with. <laughs> Blessed be the God of Israel for sending you to me. 
what do you have to say to me? Uh, rather than going, uh, huh? How am I going to know uh, what's, what, what's happening here? Uh, well, you're going to be deaf and dumb for a while. So, anyway, he, he just lets loose and prays to God, blesses the God of Israel. And, and then he proceeds to mention in summary form many of the acts God has done in Israel's past that are about to be fulfilled in the present, about to be fulfilled through his son and through the one he would champion the cause of. Verse 68 says he has visited us, meaning he has delivered us, come to our aid, uh, times without number. He has accomplished redemption for his people. He has made a, a way of forgiveness by faith in himself. Even Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him as righteousness. And now God was sending his son to prepare the way of the one who would ultimately and completely forgive our sins. And, and he raised up a horn of salvation in the house of David who I believe refers to the long-promised, long-awaited Messiah who is just about to make an appearance. Verse 70 tells us, he spoke repeatedly through his prophets to Israel through the Old Testament, the Word of God, and the promises were, if you add them all up, was Messiah is coming. The King is coming. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna to the king on high, and, and so on and so forth. The one who has come would be wonderful counselor, mighty God, eternal father, prince of peace. There will be no end to his government or his reign. Only they didn't get the idea that he was going to have to deal with their sin first. He came bringing deliverance from their enemies, verse 71, and from the tyranny of all who hate them. The exodus comes to mind. The book of Esther and the uh, deliverance from the evil Haman comes to mind. The return from Babylon comes to mind. But most of all, the future comes to mind as they will look upon him whom they have pierced and they'll mourn for him as one mourns for an only son. And, and uh, Paul says that after the times of the Gentiles, all of Israel will be saved. There's just so much in this Benedictus, it's just amazing. And he talks about the holy, the promise to the fathers was mercy, that God would remember his holy covenant. And, you know, the Abrahamic covenant, that in the Abraham all the nations of the earth would be blessed because Messiah would come through his seed. The uh, Davidic covenant, that ultimately the king, the forever king, would sit on the throne of Israel and he would judge the nations. He would reign over the world. His millennial kingdom would come. And, and uh, the new covenant. We celebrate the communion and part of it is this is the new covenant in my blood. Christ would be the ultimate Lamb of God who would take away the sin of not only Israel but of the world. God would bring those all to fulfillment. And that's all somehow incorporated in this benediction. And he brings out that someday Israel would be rescued from all her enemies and be able to serve the Lord God without fear in holiness and righteousness all her days. I believe speaking of the millennial thousand-year reign of Christ from Jerusalem. 
You see, that has been, will be, and will forever be God's promises and blessings to Israel. Church has not replaced Israel. We don't stand in Israel's place. God, again, has a blessing to pour out upon Israel in the 70th week of Daniel, and that's a whole other sermon. That is how God has conducted himself in regards to Israel throughout history and how he'll continue to conduct himself into the eternal state. And Zechariah praises the God who does that for he is great faithfulness throughout Israel's very up and down history and on into the present. He's just filled with the Holy Spirit and he's just giving stuff out that we would spend we could spend weeks, months, years, a lifetime studying what he says in this one benediction. Then secondly, interjects his son into the picture. Look at 76 and 77. And you, child, he's speaking to the baby. I don't know if the baby's understanding. I don't know when you're filled with the Holy Spirit from your mother's womb. I don't know if you understand these things yet, but John must have been incredibly intelligent, must have known the Scriptures incredibly, but not at this point. He's eight days old. Anyway, he says, And you, child, will be called the prophet of the Most High. And you will go on before the Lord to prepare his ways, to give to his people the knowledge of salvation by the forgiveness of their sins. Amazing words. Just amazing words. Now, in these two verses, Zacharias prophesies the ministry of John the Baptist in a nutshell. No frills, no elaboration, just that this baby boy would be great in the eyes and purpose of God, as the angel told Zacharias in verse 15. He'd be set apart. He'd be a Nazarite from birth. That means he wouldn't cut his hair, would be a celibate, wouldn't go near a dead body, and uh, what else? He would no, not drink wine or any strong drink. In other words, he would be totally set apart for God's purpose. He'd be filled with the Holy Spirit from his mother's womb. He would be the forerunner of Messiah. He would turn people's hearts back to God as Elijah did. He'd prepare them to repent of their sins and turn to Messiah. All this the angel told Zacharias. It'd be amazing to have a kid like this, wouldn't it? I mean, I'd be afraid to hold him. I mean, amazing things that are said about this kid. In other words, as Zechariah says in verse 76, John will be called the, and notice the definite article, the prophet of the Most High. The prophet. In fact, Jesus would refer to John as the greatest man ever born among women. Not because he was anything great, but because of the great God whom he served and what he'd been called to do. John was very unique. For 30 years, he's out in the wilderness. Some think he was with the Qumran community. There's no proof of that, but he was out being prepared. We read the description of him. He wore weird clothes and ate weird stuff, and he lived in the desert probably because his parents were gone, and there was somehow was taken care of out there, or he took care of himself. And when he comes on the scene, he is like a lightning bolt sent from God. He's like Elijah turning the hearts of the people. He comes preaching 
not a nice message. He wasn't telling people, you know, if you follow me, you can be healthy, wealthy, and prosperous, and, and you know, everything will be hunky-dory. He says, you brood of vipers who warned you to flee from the wrath to come. And then it got better from there. Amazing man. Amazing ministry that God had called him to. And what was that? Well, to prepare Israel to meet their Messiah. And to do that, they had to know that they were sinful. And how would he do that? Well, verse 77, by giving God's people the knowledge of salvation, consisting in or by the forgiveness of their sins. Both John and Jesus would preach, repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. And the point is, you can't be saved until you know what you're being saved from. And if you never admit and you never deal with your sin, you'll never be saved. If you don't understand that you're wicked and evil at heart, Sometimes, you know, we give expression to that in actions. Sometimes we just think it. Sometimes we just say it. But we're all sinners. You can be a really nice sinner in most people's eyes, except for those who really know you. And you can just be a really evil sinner, too. You're still a sinner in need of redemption, your need of forgiveness. And that was... John and Christ's message to Israel when they preached. You need to repent, turn from your sin, and turn to me, Jesus would say. John would say you need to repent of your sin and turn to Messiah, the one I'm representing. John, I guess you could say, was Christ's wingman to prepare Israel. He prepared them to meet him. Therefore, Mark 1.4 tells us that John the Baptist appeared in the wilderness preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. He was given the incredible task of preparing Israel to receive her Messiah and Savior from sin, the Lord Jesus Christ. Can you imagine? What an incredible task. That's the task we as a church have been given, isn't it? Behold our God, behold the one who forgives your sin. That's the message of the gospel. We take it to the world. We make disciples. How do we make disciples? Well, by having them face their sin, deal with their sin, turn to Christ, and follow him. That's what a disciple is, a learner of Christ. So we've been given the same task, only not on such a grand scale. It's a grander scale because we've got a world to reach, don't we? Christ had a world, but it began in Israel, and it would spread to the nations, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the earth. And here we are at the uttermost parts of the earth with the same message, repent and receive forgiveness of sins. And the way you do that is by by returning to the God who loves you, who cares for you, who has made a way of forgiveness for you through the cross of Christ, through the resurrection, his power over death and sin, and... You can receive that as a free gift, no cost. You don't have to earn it. You don't have to deserve it. You just have to receive it. You have to believe. 
That's the wonder of the gospel. That's the grace of God to those whom God would be gracious. That's what John represents. Now, keep in mind John's ministry and message was still 30 years in the future as was the revealing of the Christ. And so we read this in verses 78 and 79. He says, Because of the tender mercies of our God with which the sunrise from on high will visit us, to shine upon those who sit in darkness and the shadow of death, to guide our feet into the way of peace. What a mouthful. What a glorious description of Messiah, the ultimate embodiment of the tender mercies, literally the, the bowels of the mercies of God. And we know, kind of know what that means. That's in this area where a lot of things go on, especially when things are about to happen. And God feels so much the pain and agony of the sin of mankind that he went to extremes of giving his only begotten son whoever should believe in him should not perish but have everlasting life that's how much he yearned and felt our pain and made provision for it what a glorious description of messiah the bowels of the mercies of god that literally reads that the son of god the light of the world john 8:12 the Sunrise from on high. Oh, I still forget the. Remember the first Easter, we celebrated here. The roof was on, nothing else was in here, and the walls were down. And as soon as he got up to say something, the sun rose right behind. And that's what he's talking about here. Out of the darkness, the sun rises. The Son of God rises on our hearts. Out of the darkness of sin and. And he shines the light of redemption and forgiveness of sins, not only on Israel, but says on all who sit in darkness and the shadow of death. That's all men, isn't it? Christ is the Savior of the world, not just of Israel. Although it began there, it spread everywhere. And it says to guide our feet into the way of peace, peace with God. Man who is at war with God in Christ, can be made at peace with God. As Romans 5.1 says, Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. If there's one person you don't want to be at war with in this world, it's God. He holds your eternal destiny in his hand. Many people think they can defy God. I think of Bertrand Russell, the book he wrote, Why I'm Not a Christian, the biggest straw man I've ever seen built up, and then he proceeds to tear it apart. And he had no idea what true Christianity was, but he would end his speeches by cursing God, and if there is a God, may be struck by lightning. Well, he knows there's a God now. He's passed into eternity, unfortunately, for him. He didn't have peace with God. He is our peace as He shines the light of redemption into our dark, sinful world. He is the sunrise from on high in our dark, lowly world, establishing peace between God and man. There's one mediator between God and men, and that's the Lord Jesus Christ. He took the hand of God and brought it down to the hand of man and put them together at the cross and the resurrection. 
Let me leave you with this thought for this Christmas Advent season, and it's this. You and I are going to be seeing a lot of lights, but what do you think about as you look at them? Do you just see the glitz and the glamour and the whatever, the icicles and all the baloney? Or do they remind us of the glory of the one who is the true light of God? As it says here, the sunrise, and that's a capital S, sunrise from on high who dispels the darkness of sin. Let's get that under our head every time we see a Christmas light. Christ is the sunrise from on high who dispels the darkness of sin and those who sit in the shadow of death. Let me just close by reading to you John chapter 1. If there are ever a the greatest description of the light, it's right here. He says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the God was the Word. He was in the beginning of beginnings before beginnings ever began with God. All things came into being through Him, and apart from Him nothing has come into being that has come into being. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. Why? John 3, 19, because their deeds were evil. There came a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to testify about the light so that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but he came to testify about the light. There was the true light which coming into the world enlightens every man. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, and the world did not know him. Greatest tragic, most tragic words ever spoken. And he came to his own, and those who were his own did not receive him. Israel rejected their Messiah. But, love that word, but as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become the children of God, or children of the light, even to those who believe in his name, who were not born of blood, inheritance, or of the will of the flesh, or works, nor of the will of man, but of God. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we be saw his glory, or we saw the light of his words. We saw the grace of his words, glory as the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth. You see, that's the full Christmas story. And Pastor Craig will be telling us about that next week. And I hope every light we see will remind us of Christ, the sunrise from on high, who came to dispel the darkness of sin and to shine the light of forgiveness into our lives. Amen and amen. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your word. Thank you for how enlightening it is. And thank you that it is like lightning. It's like lightning coming down and consuming the, the dross and the evil of the false prophets of Baal. And it's like lightning coming down and, and enlightening the darkness of sin of, as Israel was, was challenged to behold their Messiah, to repent of their sin and be brought to faith in Christ. And 
It's the same thing today, Lord, that uh, we pray that you would shine that light, that awesome, irresistible light into our hearts, that we would be forgiven our sin, that we would be redeemed, that, Lord, we would be transferred from the domain of darkness and the kingdom of your beloved Son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of our sins. And, Lord, how awesome it is to consider this Christmas that that is what you accomplished through the birth, death, resurrection, and ascension of our Lord Jesus Christ. And we just thank you for him over and over again. Uh, we just can't thank you enough. Help us to be like Zacharias and, uh, and open our mouths in praise and honor and glory of yourself. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Would you please stand and let us do just that. Let us open our mouths in praise and honor of God. To maybe to, to start the whole week of, of opportunities that God would give us to open our mouths of, of, of what the season is all about. And maybe even, who knows, invite someone to, to come to service next week who one of the two days a week they might actually come with you, right? Or two days a year that they might come with you. So let's, uh, let's praise our God for what he's done in Christ.
ますふ